Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final hour is here for this Thursday edition. We are live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us as well for Outkick 360. Hit us up on Twitter. Search the show out there on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Outkick 360 is where you can find us. We hit on this a bit yesterday, but not at any length. Big Poppy into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Bonds and Clemens, while they were getting closer and closer to that threshold, uh, and it kept building year after year, they've reached their 10-year limit. They've, they're left off the, the Hall of Fame ballot again this year. They didn't make the, the threshold. So they're not in the Hall, and the, the, the great Baseball Hall of Fame debate continues for those two and many others from the steroid era. But a, a question first about David Ortiz. Do you... It, if he's not the last, he's got to be one of the last designated hitters that will be in the hall, right? I, like a true DH. 81% of his starts were as a DH, and the only one close to that uh, was Edgar Martinez, who was like 68% over his career wow. in, in recent years, uh, which is which is crazy uh, to think about. Um, Paul, you're the resident Red Sox hater. What do you think about David Ortiz as a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, I hate that a Red Sox a Red Sox gets in, and I hate him, but I think he's worthy. Though <clears throat> I do have a, a DH, you know, uh, dissat a DH dissatisfaction because you're only playing half half the game, and I I think you have to be you know super tremendous at your half of the game to discount not playing any defense. You know, and he did, was. Did he do that? You know, I think you can ar- up, he, argue, I yes. Mean, his numbers his right there with the legends of the game. His postseason stuff in particular, in- yeah. incredibly uh, impressive. But I disagree with you, Hutt, because we're going to come out of this labor stoppage with a universal DH, and one-ninth of offensive baseball players are going to be DHs. Um, it's going to extend careers for people. And the best offensive players who are the most lumbering guys are going to play a lot of DH or be career DHs. And I'm just, I think I'm just they're going to follow the in the hitters. pathways of Edgar Martinez and, and Poppy. Best hitters in the game right now, I want in the field as well, though. I mean, Bryce Harper's playing the field. Yes, but there are going to be guys like <laughs> yes. Edgar Martinez and, very, and, and very, Poppy. Very prolific. I just and, don't see those dudes. And if Bryce in, Harper or somebody like guys, that though. has ultimately winds up with a bad uh, a bad knee, or Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, but Paul, you're missing the point. I'm saying the vast majority of the career is a DH. You're saying at the end of their career they turn into just the DH. Well, Giancarlo Stanton is a, a Hall of Fame caliber player now, and the vast majority of his career he's been a DH. The vast majority of his career he was in with the Marlins in the National League, so he's playing a position. That's not a vast okay. majority well, of his career. He's going to wind up with the majority of his career being a DH. Well, uh, I, I think there's going to be plenty of guys who are vast majority of their career a DH uh, because they, they – uh, it's for bad reasons. It's for the same reason that pitchers are bad hitters because 
they they are slotted as supreme hitters who aren't gifted fielders, and instead of developing them as gifted fielders or forcing them, their early uh, GMs or or managers are going to say, "Well, I've got a spot for you, and we don't have to make you work at it." But we can, even we can if, just slot you in the lineup. I mean, he spent eight years with the Marlins. He's been four yeah, years now I, with the more Yankees. More than I expected. It's not going to be the vast majority. So even if he has another four years, the Yankees, that's half and half. Yeah. It's 81% of his starts. Right. I think it's hard to find now. I mean, you're not going to find many guys but like that. the next guy like that won't be in the field. Well, and, and so here's – now let's get into the steroid stuff because – all of a sudden, you know, well, there was this one test that was done by Major League Baseball that even Rob Manfred now is saying really isn't valid, and <laughs> we don't really know about David Ortiz, but we definitely know about these other guys. Here's what I know. It's called the steroid era. <laughs> it's an era. Are, are we punishing guys who played in the segregated era when only white people were allowed to play in Major League Baseball? No. There's a ton of guys that are in Major League Baseball in Cooperstown that played in that era. This was an era of baseball. I don't think I've ever moved more on an issue than going from, at one point I'd say Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, that have no place in the Hall of Fame, to let them all in because they were still the greatest. Some of the greatest at their positions. And someone explained to me how Kurt Schilling's not a Hall of Famer. I- I'm sorry, explain this to me. People don't like him because of a tweet? Is that what it is? Can anyone explain to me no, how he's not in? Likeability has a big has a big. Well, this part is of this. this is what bothers me about writers that their job is to okay, you're taking character into it and all that, whatever. But too often it gets to I don't like this guy. Uh, I, I read Jason Stark from the Athletic and said, you know, when you call the media, you call writers a bunch of spineless cowards, the way uh, Kurt Schilling did, and he said, take my name off the ballot. That's a surefire way to make sure they don't vote for you anymore. Well, these same writers, I bet if we went through and saw something they wrote about Kurt Schilling, these are cynics. They are writing bad things about these players that are in the Hall of Fame. So is it okay for them to do that and then a player to call them out and call them a bad name and and insult them? And so, well, now I've got the ultimate card to play and I'm not going to let you in this club. Well, if you say take my name off the ballot, I'm not not voting. Well, he should have been voted in before that. The problem was he knew this was coming, the way it was trending before that. And they didn't vote on him because they don't like him. That's the best I can see. I think it was actually trending all right. Well, he, he, he finished at 63%, would have percent, I think. The I year before, was, 68. Like, 68. He was close. It was, it was close to 70. If I'm at 68 well, you know, and I have one more year, I'm going to take my shot. You know who else is close is Bonds and Clemens. I just, it bothers they, they, me they when you just know. Like, there's no debate. There's no debate with these guys as players. I mean, you could debate all day about them as people. Or how they treated the media or how they were with their teammates. I, I, I don't know, but I just, I mean, th- my childhood is Barry Bonds and Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens being dominant and names you actually knew now in a sport that, quite frankly, doesn't have enough names everyone well, knows. Well, I don't think. And these I, are names everyone knows. I Put think them in. You're too quick to go to the writers. All, not all of them are doing a great job, but the rule says to consider this stuff. So they're doing what they're asked. Now, do you want them to follow the rule that they're, of the privilege that they're given, or do you want them to be rebels against the rule? It says to consider the character stuff. So if you take a step back, though, for me, and you ask, what did these guys do for the game? They did more to benefit the game of baseball than to harm it. They did. 
because baseball was going nowhere in after, 94. After the labors. And then McGuire and Sosa and the charge that they led, albeit on roids, um, the charge that they led to bringing, you know, a guy, a kid that grew up in the 90s. I was watching baseball doubleheader every Wednesday night, Sunday night baseball. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, and it brought everybody back in on teams you weren't even really rooting for. You were watching them play because they were household names. Legitimately, you'd go out and play wiffle ball and you were mimicking the stances of these dudes. And it wasn't because, you know, they're, they're on the straight and narrow path to the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's because they're juicing up and putting on an entertaining show for everybody. It was about the long ball, and the pitchers were doing it too. Well, and this is this is where you get into the the, the slippery slope when writers want to say, "Well, it's we got to we got to factor in the character, the character," because this is a, an article I was reading from CBS Sports. Gaylord Gaylord Perry doctored baseballs. Juan Marichal charged a mound and tried to murder someone with, with his bat. bat during a game. Tris Speaker, Rogers Hornsby had reputations of being awful people, including awful to the press during their time. Dozens of players from the 60s and 70s admitted to using greenies, amphetamines that were banned to stay awake for games. They're in. Understandable. Mistakes were made previously by previous writers. That doesn't mean that if I've got a ballot now, I shouldn't follow the rules given to me. That maybe, is, I mean... Maybe so. But I the, just, unless... In, in I wish they would honestly just remove the character part of it because to me, if you are a, a, a citizen who's allowed to be a free person and you're not in prison and playing in Major League Baseball and you put up the stats that those guys did and the Major League Baseball allows you to continue playing the whole time, they should be in the Hall of Fame. I would tend to agree now and say this. If you're not banned from baseball, Pete Rose is banned from baseball. I think you can't be in the Hall of Fame if you're banned from baseball, so he's first got to get unbanned. Yeah. To get in the Hall I, of Fame. I, I'm fine with that. But then I, I think the, I all find of the P-Row stuff to be kind of tired. All honestly. of these plaques have to describe the career. You know, your plaque describes your career. So it would mention that you were part of the steroid era and, and include the well, full context but of your career. To what Chad's saying, did the, these guys' plaques mention all this stuff? I don't know. But Probably the, not. The things evolve over time. So I think at, at this point you would say, uh, you know, uh, include the the full context of the career, and I'd I'd have no problem now with these guys being uh, being in, but I do think it's odd that the uh, I or I I mean I do think the story has gone from people's contempt for the players who did these things to people's contempt for the writers with the ballots is is uh, uh it's just a I think that's just you sticking up for the writers uh, I, I, because I the, these are the most sanctimonious people on earth. You can't, you, uh, you have a hall of fame with Ty Cobb, who is pr- probably the biggest racist in the history of professional sports. But yet these writers want to keep Kurt Schilling out because he sent a mean tweet that they didn't agree with politically. Yeah. That's what, the bottom what is, line. What is, and that's not all Kurt Schilling. That's well, the, I'm the, not going to get into no, the whole Paul, that is the bottom line. He's got Nazi symbols on that is the, somewhere. That is, that is so do a whole lot of people who collect history stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to call you. You, you don't like Kurt no, Schilling because he doesn't believe in the That that's is that not is all he has. Paul. That is the reason these baseball writers kept him out of the Hall of Fame. They do not like where he stands politically, and I can argue with this all day long. That is it. That is the, that is that's stop. Full stop. That's the end of the story. 
I stopped, paying, I stopped paying attention to Kurt Schilling a long time ago, so I can't tell you what the whole story is. Well, but what is, you're the one that's all worked up about but it. But what is, okay, what is Kurt well, you're Schilling's... You're the one defending it. Yeah, what I'm, is not Kurt, defen- I'm not defending But again, going back to your thing, what does Kurt Schilling's plaque say? Like you said, we got to include all this stuff. What, is his, what does his plaque say? He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't take steroids. He has to be left off the ballot. Well, uh, you, you keep saying, though, that things evolve over time, and we can't hold to the mistakes of other writers in the past. Well... I would argue that our opinion on steroids and the steroid era has evolved as more has come out over time. My opinion has evolved. I allow for my opinion to evolve. I was a staunch, if you took steroids and cheated the game, you shouldn't be in. And 15, 20 years later, when you realize that a majority of baseball players were doing something like that, then you really look into the history of amphetamines place in the game for years and years. I have no problem with those guys being in the Hall of Fame now. My opinion's evolved. I, I don't understand why the hall can't evolve also. Well, the percentage of voters have evolved too. Because again, like they were, when you look at the percentages with both of these guys being, um, Clemens and Bonds, being in the 60% range, I mean, there was, where were they five years yeah, ago? Yeah, it's evolved. It's 30? gotten higher. And that's what they're counting on. I don't know why they renamed the Veterans Committee into some today's game yeah. ridiculous name. Yeah. But what they're counting on is younger people being on that who ultimately will put them in in a kind of quieter, smoother fashion, which I don't know that it's going to make it better. But ultimately, if they wind up in like they they should be, then things will be uh, righted. I was to the Hall of Fame twice as a, as a younger person. I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame this summer because it's a rite of passage for 12-year-old baseball players to go play in a tournament in Cooperstown, and my son's a 12-year-old baseball player. So he's going to play up there this summer. And I'll see if it still has the same feeling that it did of, of a place of wonder or if the absence of these guys changes the feel of the, of the place. I, I don't think that the absence of these guys is going to change anything. It's a place I would absolutely go to, take my kids to, do all that, because I, I would love to go sometime. I've never been. But what it does change is it changes those guys who are some of the best of all time and really help the game. All of them. I mean, the bloody sock and Kurt Schilling is going to be in baseball and sports lore forever. If I say bloody sock, every sports fan in America is going to know what it is. The 2004 Red Sox, everyone's going to know what that means. And I just think keeping them out, while it's not going to shut down the Hall of Fame to not have those guys, you know, bust in the Hall of Fame, it's doing a disservice to your own sport and to those men who played baseball, regardless of what you think about what they did to cheat the game or doesn't fall in line with your beliefs or whatever. It just, I I hate it when it's almost like a a really good game becoming all about the refs when they're calling too many penalties or calling too many fouls. I think that this has become about the writers and the voting process and it shouldn't be. I also think it's significant to me anyway, in judging these guys that bonds had clearly done so much that Clements had clearly done so much in their careers before the steroid Before stuff. Before the steroid stuff, which shows how dumb they were. But um, that they had done so much before. Bonds in Pittsburgh, before pre-Balco, w- was a Hall of Famer on that alone. And I think Clemens, you could argue the, the same thing if you look at the timelines of what we know and the change in their bodies and, and all of that stuff. I think there are other guys who probably are complete products um, I understand the bat to the ball and the eye stuff isn't this product of steroids, 
but the extra 15 feet is. You know? revamp the game. And then, you know, Bonds went from a Hall of Fame player to the home run king. Yeah, that's, that, that's what I would it took say. Him to a completely he's different not. Level. That's what I'd have. He's on the not the home run king without the steroids. He is absolutely a Hall of Famer, though, even without the steroids. Uh, there are that's Hall of the Famers, kind of and then are Babe Ruth on the, and on the Hank plot. Aaron, and right. He put he, he went from Hall of Fame to all time legend. So five to ten by, guys that's what in the history of the game. So you say they're idiots for doing it. He did it to take him to a completely different stratosphere, and that's what he did. Right, but that's why it's cost him this. Sure, also. so but he made a trade off. But he was, but his talent mixed with that took him to the stratosphere. There are guys yeah, I, who were on it that got better, but it took them to another level too. But they couldn't reach his level because right, he was the so good to start had. with. Yeah. I feel like they've the, uh, those guys have already paid the price because there's always going to be a slight asterisk with by that, their name. Yeah, but they should be in the Hall of Fame too, right? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm on board. With I think that. I think we all agree on that. Like I, I don't refer to him as the home run king either. No, but I think of him as a Hall of Fame player. Like there, there is a different vibe to that because there's one Hall of Fame home run king, right? And then there's Bonds. What Hall is Barry Bonds talent. doing now? Does anyone know? Wasn't he is at Pedro the, uh, Gomez of ESPN still staked outside of his house like no, he was? Pedro I think Gomez, Pedro Gomez is deceased. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I hope Barry Bonds is deceased also. Um, he's still he's still he with still us, right? He was at a sporting event training. recently. Yeah, and then Clemens released a statement as he does saw, every year. I saw like, Clemens release a statement. Like I, he said, um, I've you know I put the Hall of Fame behind me whenever I retired, and it's you know it's not going to define what I did. And he's at peace with whatever. And he's like, I did this years ago. This is just another day for me. I see my name being mentioned today. Here's my thoughts, same as last year. Did you see Poppy get the call? It was cool. That's a pretty cool that's call cool. to make for Jack O'Connell, president of the yeah. Baseball Writers Association. That, I mean, that's no knock on the door thing. That's the way baseball does it compared to football, but that's a pretty cool moment. Um, and I saw a guy that I hate getting that call, and I liked it. Yeah, will, to your point, you said it well, but Roger Clemens said, my family and I put the Hall of Fame in the rearview mirror 10 years ago, and I didn't play baseball to get in the Hall of Fame. I played baseball to make a generational difference in the lives of my family. And to, and throw, and to throw a bat at Mike Piazza. That, that I thought was a ball. Yes, that, that was my checklist to go into the league. And I, I accomplished both. Let Paul, uh, let it go on the record. Paul defending Mike Piazza, a Met, um, <laughs> by taking down Roger Clemens. So the Yankees fan just did something he didn't want to do. I don't like former Red Sox on Mike the Yankees. Piazza. Coming up, Roger. Uh, speaking when come, of, when we come back, I'll I'll go into Johnny Roger, Damon. Roger's in the box. Speaking of uh, getting the call, Tony Baselli hopes to get the knock, receive the knock for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist joins us next, where he'll be on the call this weekend at Arrowhead for the Chiefs and the Bengals. He's next with us on Outkick Three Sixty. We continue to look ahead to the upcoming matchups this weekend, AFC-NFC Championship Games. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist and Westwood One analyst who will be on the call uh, this weekend in Arrowhead for the Chiefs and the Bengals with Ian Eagle and Ross Tucker. Tony Baselli joins us on Outkick 360. Tony, how are you, man? I'm good, uh, Paul. I hope it's okay that I, I hope I have a better colored shirt on. I see your uh, your, your partner <laughs> trying to copy me with that yes. interesting. Co- you know, there you go. Lime, yeah. lime colored shirt. <laughs> I can't. I can hardly see the shirt. You're, you're uh, in your screen. You're, yeah, you're yeah. hiding it well. There you go. You look good. You look good, Tony. You always look good. 
Um, but, uh, are you jealous, Tony? Are you jealous of the, the fluorescent color coming on the other side of the screen? Well, I, I, I actually wish I had thought about it this morning when I woke up um, to put the same shirt on because I <laughs> um, appreciated Paul's comments on my wardrobe because everyone knows who listens to you guys and knows Paul that he is the expert yes, in fashion. Yes. I mean, I, I, seeing him in the press box, I, po- press box, I just go, fashion, Paul, it goes together. <laughs> we, and, and we cut these into promos that we run during our, our commercials, so if you were in the same thing, it would be really confusing. Well, what's, what's crazy, Tony, I never even would have thought to think about your shirt. It didn't jump out to me at all until Paul said something about it. It, it was not. My eyes are it very... Didn't, it didn't strike the eye to me. i like, well, he's just wearing, you know, looks like a normal shirt for a man of his age to be wearing. But it really, yeah. it really stuck out to my Paul eyes for some are reason. very sensitive, apparently. Yeah. And I was watching Ozark <laughs> last night. My eyes are even more sensitive now. Uh, before we jump right to the game that you're covering, yeah, just your thoughts on uh, the Titans' inability to beat the Bengals. You were here. You sacked the quarterback nine times um, and play the defense that the Titans did, and still managed to lose. How impressed were you with their ability to do that? Nine sacks is hard, but when you have three turnovers and one to start the game and another one in the red zone, um, and one in the two minute in two, within two minutes of the end of the game, that's what happens. Um, I, 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 the Titans just didn't offensively; they never looked in sync from the beginning. And I thought they'd come out. I thought they'd have more success pounding the ball. Uh, the Bengals struggled to stop the run um, against the Raiders. They did get it going a little bit. And I think one of the most curious things to me in that game is on the Mike Hilton interception, up until that point, they had run the ball every play down the field. And I don't understand, and I promise you, every offensive lineman walked to the sidelines going, what are we doing? Because they were dominating the line of scrimmage. They were, you know, they had complete control. I felt like if they go down and just pound it into the end zone and score, I think the game's probably over, and I think they win it. I don't want to say easily, but they win. They they take care of business. So I thought that was the big moment. And then, you know, obviously the Tannehill interception late in the game. I thought he had Frisker underneath for the first down, easy throw. I don't know what he was looking at, threw it into traffic, and the rest is history. So, you know, typical Titans, you know, get the number one seed and find a way to lose. You know, that's three times they've been the number one seed, and they've never have never won a divisional game. Are we too quick to write off Joe Burrow's Cincinnati Bengals going against the Chiefs? Yes. I mean, I, I think the Chiefs are going to win. But when you have a guy like Joe Burrow back there, like it's the – you're in the game. I mean, Paul just said he got sacked nine times. Nine times and he still threw, I think, for a net of like 350 yards. I mean, the guy is unreal. He is tough as nails. He is a big play guy, big moment guy. And if you look back um, to his college career, every every big game where he had to win, so the national title game, the semifinals of college, getting into the playoffs, they look how they finished the season and what he's done in the playoffs, he makes plays. And they got all kinds of talent outside. And their defense is much better than anyone realized. So, yes, the Bengals have a great shot. They beat um, the Chiefs in the regular season. The big question, can they hold up on the offensive line? Can they block Chris Jones? That's where I think they're going to struggle. I see. I think Chris Jones is going to wreak havoc. Is there anything – I mean, if they had the magic switch, they would figure it out. They gave up 51 sacks in the regular season. 
25 in the final six games and then nine last week. It would have been 11 had the clock not stopped a couple times due to a penalty and a, a delay of game. But, Tony, is there anything that they can do up front that would remedy these issues that they continue to have? Or is it just that's who they have to play and may God have mercy on Joe Burrow's soul? Yeah, pray for uh, Joe Burrow. Uh, because you're not going to – I mean, there's no one showing up. I mean, <laughs> Anthony Munoz isn't walking through the door and going to play for you. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Um, and the the hard part, I think, if you look at for the, the offensive staff of the Bengals, is how do you – it's hard to game plan when – multiple guys are struggling. So you have your interior three that are struggling. And so you're going to have Chris Jones in there. So maybe we can slide. We can help him help those guys out inside. But then Isaiah Prince, the right tackle is struggling as well. And you have Frank Clark. And so it's like, where do we send guys and where do we chip? Where do we, you know, we can max protect only we can max protect and play action fake, but where they're most successful is in the spread. And when they they go empty, there's no one better, in my opinion, in the NFL than Joe Burrow out of the spread. And so it'll be really interesting how they handle this. And I, I think the key for the Bengals is they got to get Joe Mixon going. And they he has not had a very good second half of the season if you if you look at his yards uh, per carry. So if they can get a little bit of a run game, take the pressure off that offensive line, play action pass. I mean, they got weapons outside. I mean, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I mean. Uh, Uzmiata. Uh, I mean, you keep. I mean, just go through the names of weapons. Um, they're tough to deal with. And listen, a little bit of it also is the Bengals made a choice last year in the draft. Everyone knew they needed offensive line help, and a lot of people thought they'd go um, with that in the first round. They chose Jamar Chase, and you can't argue it. The guy's un- unbelievable. And so you deal with what you got. They got a average to you know at best offensive line so joe burrow's used to it it'll be interesting to see how they handle it tony baselli our guest he's on the call this weekend uh for westwood one chiefs and Bengals. um on the Chiefs side they replaced what they had three new starters on the offensive line to begin the season and that came together and they've gelled and they've they've got some strong talent young talent and many were pointing to that as what may work to their detriment early in the year but they've come together well. I mean, they, they've been running the football. Mahomes is certainly doing that uh, from from his position. But you know, Cincinnati's averaging more yards than than uh, excuse me, Kansas City's averaging more yards than Cincinnati on the ground in the postseason. And yeah. of course, Mahomes is also you know a wizard with how he can evade pressure and spin the football. Well, yeah, and I think the offensive lines um, come together, and they got some young players. You said they're doing a better job where they struggled early in the year. Um, but they were still – they gave up quite a bit of pressure to the Bills, but they just couldn't track down Mahomes. I mean, how many times was Mahomes running around, you know, with people all around him extending plays and doing what Patrick Mahomes does? And the, and the Chiefs are just a different animal because you have Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey just put the fear of God in you. It's like you start praying when you walk into the stadium because you have nobody who can run with Tyree Kill. I mean, that play he made where he took that little crosser and had five guys around him who all had the angle, and he ran by every defender. You know, and you got Kelsey, who's a matchup problem, you know, Hardman, who can fly. I mean, they have so much speed on offense. It stresses your defense, and I think you have to think about it differently and how you play it. So you can't get that extra guy in the box. You can't play man outside. You don't want single-eye safety. You want to play a little more of a cloud coverage. And so that opens the run game. Um, and they're just so effective. The talent they have on that side of the ball is remarkable. 
Tony Baselli, our guest. Again, he's on the call for Chiefs and Bengals. What do you make of the, the second game uh, with Rams and 49ers? Third matchup of the season. 49ers won the previous two this year. They're 6-0 in their last six games against Sean McVay's Rams. Uh, it's it, incredibly difficult to play a team three times and, and not figure something out if you're on the losing end. What do the Rams have to do to, to best the 49ers this time at home? Well, all the Titans fans should know that's not that hard to do because if you go back to 1999, I was on the wrong side of those three in a row <laughs> uh, where the Titans beat the Jags. I mean, the only three losses we had all year were against the Titans. And if you look at this matchup, and I see you smiling there, Paul. Don't you were at, ho- you at home, too. Yeah, we were at home. It was not good. Um Sometimes it's just matchups, and and I guarantee you, no matter what the Rams say, it'll be in the back of their mind, especially if it goes poor early, or there's moments in the game where it's going against them. In the back of their minds, they're gonna be like, "Uh oh, here we go again." And you gotta fight that. You gotta keep that out of your out of your head. Um, I think it's a tough matchup for the Rams because of how physical the San Francisco 49ers are, and you know the the Rams are a fast team on defense. They want to rush the passer. They have so much confidence in that secondary, which led by Jalen Ramsey, that if they can get you in passing, uh, a passing situation or get you behind or you have to throw in a bunch, that's their game. The, the 49ers are going to run right down their throats. And they have such a physical offensive line, a physical scheme. Um, they have, you know, the, their backs, you know, and Debo Samuel. I mean, there's not many people more physical than him in the, fo- in the game of football. So, it's a tough matchup. It's going to be one of those games, though. You know it's going to be close regardless. Uh, I don't see either side blowing the other one out. Um, the Rams are definitely capable. We saw that last week against the Bucks, going on the road to get that win. Uh, but I think it's tough because the 49ers are going in with a ton of confidence. No one thought they'd be here, you know, with the start they had. And that offensive line, I mean, this is what, this is what plays out in playoff football, being able to run the ball and playing physical defense. Who does that better out of those two teams? It's the 49ers. So I give a little bit a little bit of an advantage to them. Is Jimmy Garoppolo capable of making the big plays when they present themselves where you're gonna need that at some point to win a game like this? I would think. They didn't really need it against the Packers, not scoring an offensive touchdown, but there was snow and weather and different different issues there. Um, I guess what I'm asking, Tony, is if you go through these four quarterbacks, I can give you a pretty good description of three of them. And when you get to Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm not sure how to describe him as a quarterback, yet here he is continuing to win in the playoffs. How would you describe Jimmy Garoppolo? He wins. He's 40-18, and 18, I think, is the stat. I mean, if you look at it, and when he's not in there, I think Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers are 8-28 or something like that. I might be off a game or two. That's it. It's not pretty. It's not pretty all the time. Um, you kind of just, like, give in to the fact that he's going to make some stupid throw that's going to cost you at some point. But they win games. Like I, I'm with you. I don't even know how to describe how I feel about it. Because, like, you look at the – I remember, you know, watching that um, wild card game where they had everything in control and he throws a late pick. And they almost cost him the game. And then you look at the Green Bay game. They didn't do anything offensively with him. Um, and you can go out through, throughout the year in his career, there's like that moment or two where you're like, what are you doing? But then he'll make big throws. Everyone plays better when he's in there. So, yeah, I hear you. Um, but I guess if I were describing the big plays that he makes, is they're on the right side of the scoreboard when he's the quarterback. 
Tony, if he wins this game, we've been talking about this. If Garoppolo leads them to the Super Bowl, if he leads them to a Super Bowl win, I mean, are they still flipping things to Trey Lance next year? Can he alter the the plan? I hope so, Paul. I mean, I, I would think he. The, uh, you, I mean, how do you get rid of a Super Bowl winning quarterback? And even if they don't win, that'll be two Super Bowls that he's taken the 49ers to. Um, I thought it was curious how much they gave up to go get Trey Lance. And I consider John Lynch one of my better friends. I don't understand what they were thinking there. Um, but now they put themselves in a little bit of a corner. Now, the reality is you can, you can you know, because of the salary cap, because Trey Lance isn't making any money, you can keep Jimmy Garoppolo for another year and let Trey Lance sit behind him and see how next year goes. So there's not like this urgency where you have to do something right away. But I, Dan, I mean, to answer your question, I can't see, I can't imagine a scenario where if he wins the Super Bowl, even goes to the Super Bowl, that, that Jimmy Garoppolo is not starting quarterback in San Francisco next year. On the flip side, Tony, what do you think Matthew Stafford's feeling this week? He knows he's a game away from the Super Bowl. He's been playing mistake-free football through two games of the playoffs. Gets the trade that he wants. He's out in L.A. He's away from Detroit. He's in the postseason. Gets his first postseason win. And now he's on the cusp of going to Super Bowl 56 with another great performance. And all the pieces around him are starting to really gel, all those offensive weapons. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, he's an older guy too, you know, I mean, he has plenty of years left, but he's been around the block and he knows how hard it is to get to this position. I mean, he lived and played for Detroit. Um, and so I think there's probably some nerves and some anxiety, not that he's like, a, like about maybe his play or the, the game, but just the moment of like, how many more times in my career am I going to be able to get to this moment to have this opportunity to go to the Super Bowl? And I think what he's probably thinking and probably fighting with himself is to keep that out of his mind because you can't go in like that. you got to go in because he's so talented and he's such a great player. You have to go in and just, you know, have normal anxiety, normal game anxiety, normal game jitters. That's normal. And go play the game. And don't think about what the moment means if you win or lose, because if you're focused on that, you're not focused on the job at hand, the process you have to go get through to have that opportunity. So, um, I'm sure he's fighting that a little bit. It's human nature, how not to think about that, especially as you get older. You know, as a young player, you think, you know, I remember the, in 96 when we went to the FC Championship game against the Patriots, and we lost, and I was upset and disappointed. But I was like, I've only been in the league two years. This isn't that hard. We'll be back here next year. I mean, you just don't have you – don't, you don't understand the gravity of the moment as a younger player. But after being around a while, you realize that you might never get this chance again. And as a player, you have to fight that. You can't be thinking that way. You got to be focused on what you have to do uh, against the against a good football team in the 49ers. What a moment that Joe Burrow has in front of him. Tony will, will be on the call for Chiefs and Bengals as Burrow looks to take down Mahomes. The only playoff loss, the other quarterback on the other sideline to ever go head-to-head with Mahomes and win is Brady. And here's, here's Burrow with a chance to do just that with the explosive offense. It's been the Chiefs, though, with the explosive offense in the postseason. 20 plays of 20 yards or more with the Bengals, eight. And Burrow with Chase with the Magic, a chance to see it. I know you're going to be, um, you'll be, what, a booth or two down from Nance and Romo for this, Tony. So uh, I expect some Romo-esque play calls on the radio broadcast. Yeah, I mean, do you think he can? Uh, I can get Romo-esque uh, salary? 
for fun. Game. I mean, <laughs> sure. Uh, who's your agent? Yeah, not it's obviously not as good as uh, Romo's. Um, <laughs> but you know, you brought it's funny you brought up Burrow and Mahomes, and and I'll end it with this: is how stacked is the AFC with young quarterbacks? Yeah. I mean, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Just I mean, and there's others, but those three alone. You imagine? I mean, I imagine. I believe at least we're going to see as long as God willing they can stay healthy. Some amazing matchups. I, this won't be the last playoff match uh, between Burrow and Mahomes, just like it won't be the last matchup between Allen and Mahomes. So uh, the AFC, boy, tough sled if you're some of these other teams because you are looking around saying, boy, there's some young, gun, young guns in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, And you consider- forgot Tannehill. <laughs> <laughs> and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, consider um- – Well, I, I, yeah, just to take a, just to take a shot – um, a Jaguar shot, and I know it's it's we don't get many opportunities of this. I'll argue this: the Jaguars have the best quarterback situation in the AFC South. I wouldn't trade Trevor Lawrence for any of the other guys, and in a quarterback league, more times than not, that uh, works out well. What do you think of the pairing with Byron Leftwich and Trevor Lawrence? Is that official? I mean, I can't tell. Like, I, I've seen nothing from the Jags. I've got no calls from my people at the Jags, but I've seen Twitter blow up saying he's going to be the next coach. I don't know. I mean, I have no inside, but typically I have people that work there that are good friends that would have called if it was done. So is it done? I mean, I've been out of pocket, too. The, the report is out of Arizona that Adrian Wilson is the new general manager of of Jacksonville, and that was the guy that – that Byron, uh, wants. Byron left, which wanted, okay. he didn't want to work with Balky. Well, it seems so like it's on the verge. We're assuming that based on Adrian Wilson being reported to Jacksonville. Yeah, great. Byron, I, I know Byron. Um, big step for him, obviously. You know, young guy has been coaching for that long. Um, ton of success. And, uh, you know, for his, he had the opportunity to learn under Bruce Arians, who I hold in really high regard as, a, as far as a football coach and offensive mind. Um, so that'd be good. I think that'd be good for Trevor Lawrence. They got to get talent, though. I mean, you got to have speed, and they have no speed receiver. They need to get some playmakers outside. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence is the real real deal. I think he'll be a superstar in this league, and uh, and so I think long term the Jags will be in a good spot. But they have a lot of work to do because I don't think that roster is all that strong on, on the offensive side. Hey, we just have a minute left, but Nathaniel Hackett did you did you get to know him very well when he was the OC for Bortles there? Yeah, I, I did, and I think if you go back to that 2017 year, everyone talks about the uh, the defense, how great it was. What Nathaniel Hackett did um, with a non-traditional and not a great throwing quarterback in Blake Bortles to get them to the AFC Championship and really should have won that game if you go back and uh, look what happened. Um, I think he's a really good offensive mind, um, have a lot of respect for Nathaniel, like him as, a, as an individual. You won't find met, met, uh, many better guys. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. And, I, and the thing that I'm intrigued to watch is with him in Denver, does Aaron Rodgers, who speaks very, very highly of Nathaniel Hackett, is there a trade in the near future or some movement where you see Aaron Rodgers dressing up in a uh, Bronco uniform <laughs> next year? Maybe it would. It, man, now, now you just got through the the AFC quarterback battle. Now you're throwing Rodgers into the mix there in the AFC as well. Good luck to anybody, including you know these up and coming like Justin Herbert, who's okay. trying to get in that division and knock uh, on the door. All in the same division. Meanwhile, NFC's wide open. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, well, Tony. That's why, and, and I know we got to go, but if you're Aaron Rodgers, why would you come to the AFC? Stick over I, the no NFC. Kidding. Better path. 
No kidding, especially in that division. Thanks a lot. We, we enjoyed it. Enjoy the game. All right, see you guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Tony Baselli has been our guest uh, on the call for Chiefs and Bengals. We wrap up Outkick 360 when we return across the Outkick Network. We roll on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location, each and every day. You can come visit us if you're in the Music City area, Nashville, Tennessee. Shout out to the great crew making it happen. Adam Brown, Dylan Taylor, the entire crew. David Reed's the chairman of the board. We'll be having a a jam-packed show tomorrow. We've got Bobby Carpenter lined up. We'll be previewing college uh, football headlines, but also previewing the uh, the NFL matchups. We'll give our picks and things to watch for for Chiefs and Bengals and Rams and 49ers. Still weird to say Chiefs and Bengals for the AFC title. It is weird. Uh, it's also weird to hear Tony Baselli uh, taking shots at the Titans, but uh, you're not getting a lot of uh, uh, people saying that he's wrong about one of the things that he just said. Uh, his quote was that, as a Jags guy, we don't get many chances to take a shot, but he'll take the Jags quarterback situation over anyone else in the AFC South. Well... Agre- agree or disagree? Right now, yeah. I mean, because... I- I'll take the Texans benched quarterback situation. Yeah, but he's not ever going to play for the Texans. No. So from an AFC South standpoint. But right now, in terms of roster holdings, they've got the best, the best guy. But yeah, that, in terms that's of the guys one that play. I mean, I, you know, I forget what we had on earlier this week, but ask them, where does Deshaun Watson rank if we're looking at the great Mahomes and Allen Who's McClain, and Burrow? Yeah, and I, and I asked John McClain about that. He's right there. I mean, he's not, yeah. he's not Mahomes. But he's in that group, and he's not playing football. And he's going to play football for someone again. I firmly believe that's going to happen. Yeah, we haven't talked a lot about him in, in the movement. And uh, he's got, he's what, the February guy. court dates? It, it's well, every, every scenario you hear about the Titans and who they should go after, it's Aaron Rodgers, Russell not Wilson. Court dates. It, and I understand that. But Deshaun Watson's out there for someone. That's when depositions begin. It's in February. Or I guess when he gets this cleared up. Um, yeah, I mean, or, but the, or if he gets it, but if the he thing gets is, it like, up. if if none of this happens, he's not playing for the Texans. He's already been traded. He demanded a trade at this time last year. Right, he was done with them. <clears throat> well, he would have been in Miami. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, with Flores, would, and, and would Miami would have been in the playoffs. In the division. No, 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 I don't think so. Be nice for the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> at a bargain, you get a bargain, a bargain deal for uh, for Deshaun Watson. I feel like he's going to go to the NFC. That, that if would be I were the move. him, I'd want to go to the NFC. But he's got some pretty particular... Uh, the Giants, have uh, their ownership came out yesterday for the first time publicly and said, he's, we're not trading for him. And then the next day, today, interviewed Brian Flores. And gave support to Daniel Jones. And I respect this. I think it was John Mara who yep. said, hey, we, we've done major disservice to this guy. We've done everything possible coaches, to Multiple coordinators, uh, you know, bad protection, this and that. We've got to stabilize this thing, build it for him to excel, and then judge him, which I think is a very reasonable statement. And Daniel Jones could uh, uh, go to bed tonight comfortably thinking like, oh, they do give a damn about, you know, giving me an actual chance instead of, you know, crumpling me up and throwing me away as so many quarterbacks have been when they've gone into this vicious cycle of bad management, coaching, Oof. and coordinating. Just been brutal. And on top of that, not just bad coaching. I mean, they, they draft a very talented running back 
in Saquon Barkley, the problem is they use the number two pick on a running back and not on a wide receiver, not on a top flight left tackle. Yeah. And, know, then, and then that running back's not, hurt. Then he's hurt all the years. time. But even the running back doesn't really help you in today's league as much as number two overall picks yeah. should. We, we had a playmakers conversation earlier. We are back at it for the Friday edition coming up at 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern, Friday on Outkick 360. Hey, don't block the box, but do lock your locks.